This episode is brought to you by PitchDMM, the football fan app that gives fans a voice and allows you to rate your team, the players, and pick your formation and your squad in real time, every game, and compete with your mates. Have fun whilst generating a voice that will be listened to. Your club, your voice, be heard. Get it now on Google Play and download it on the Apple App Store. Jose, ¿jugamos? Sí, pares. Uno, dos y tres. Sí, sé. Kaká. Tidán. Beckham. Defoe. Can. Messi. Beckenbauer. Beckenbauer. <laughs> Beckenbauer. Latini. Oye, the foe. Soy el capitán. It's the Kings of Europe, episode 10. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Cody Smith, and I am joined again by two awesome guests this evening as we're going to discuss a little bit about the drama that unfolded on the final weekend of Serie A, and specifically our highlight team this weekend is going to be the Milanisti, the Rossoneri, AC Milan, and they are an interesting team indeed because they spent a lot of money last summer did not get the results they were looking for. We have a Serie A specialist, uh, a Rossoneri supporter, uh, to explain to us what exactly went wrong with uh, Silvio Berlusconi's former team, uh, now no longer his team. I don't know who the owner is. I think he's in hiding. I have no clue where he's at, and a lot of people don't know his financial situation. So all that to unfold. As well as this week, we're going to talk about this tournament that is coming up in just a few short days, the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Not a very well-promoted tournament. Uh, this seems like it has been not as in the forefront and in the limelight as the ones in South Africa and the one, obviously, in Brazil was. Russia has been a little bit quiet, and uh, we're going to talk, all three of us, myself and the two guests who I'm about to introduce, about what is going to take place in the next week or so and then after that, for the next month, in the group stages, the round of 16, the quarterfinals, semifinals, and of course, the final fixture of the FIFA World Cup. So we're going to get to through all that, who the winners are going to be, Golden Boot, as well as the man of the tournament. At this time, I'll introduce uh, my good friend, Richard Carmen. He is the Serie A specialist. He is a AC Milan fan, as well as... FC Schalke Nulfia, which for that I will forgive him on both of those counts. Richard, <laughs> Richard, how you doing this evening? I'm doing well, despite that introduction. I'm doing very well. <laughs> awesome. I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm uh, just here enjoying a nice cup of uh, Re Revelator coffee from. Uh, I believe they're out of. I don't know where they're out of, but I think uh, I saw a shop of theirs in Nashville, Tennessee, and got some uh, some coffee from them and. Quite good, if I do say so myself. And I also want to walk. Say it again. I was going to say, I mean, we're talking about Syria, so I brought some red wine to drink tonight. So ah, I went with the uh, the espresso uh, myself. So we're we're, do, we're both doing Italian, but just on different <laughs> ends of the spectrum. So that's uh, uh, you know still still in the native tongue, if you will. At this time, I also want to welcome a good friend and writer for the Goldmouth Scramble, 
and he is going to tell us all about his uh, World Cup project later on in the show, but he is here to talk mostly with us about the 2018 FIFA World Cup. At this time, George George Bennett, how you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Doing well, doing well, doing well. All right, well, we're going to jump right into this thing. Uh, let's uh, start off with uh, Richard. Uh, a lot of stuff happened the final weekend of Serie A. We're going to touch on that real quick before we jump into to the Rossoneri. And we had a little match between my uh, Inter Milan and Lazio on the last match day. And this was obviously not only the match of the weekend, but one of the matches of the year in the league, as well as, it could be argued, one of the great matches uh, in Europe for the 2017-18 season. The come-from-behind victory, a lot of questionable calls in the final uh, few minutes by uh, Inzaghi. There was the take, the taking off of Chiro Immobile, their top scorer, who shared the uh, most goals in the Serie A with Mauro Icardi at 29. Uh, so the foul from the future Inter player, De Vrij, on, in, on Mauro Icardi that gave them the penalty to equalize. And then just moments later, the 3-2 in favor of Inter. The come-from-behind victory is secure. Inter comes back from the dead with literally zero hopes of making the Champions League with 15 <clears throat> minutes to go in the season. They qualify for their first Champions League since 2012. Uh, unbelievable it's been that long. I it's It's been six depressing years for me as a Interisti. <laughs> but uh, that, that has now come to an end. So, Richard, what were your impressions of that final day? I mean, uh, not just to say, and, and, and please do go into relegation battle as well because there was some excitement down there with Spall and Kievo and, and a lot of those teams, Kaleri, they were fighting for survival. What, what were some of your highlights of that of that final day of the season? So the, ma- the last match day of the season was was hectic. Um, I, I totally ignore the Juventus Hellas Veronos match because it's it first uh, first versus second to last. No drama there. Um, either way, it doesn't matter if anyways, either team win. But I was focusing mostly on the bottom five teams of the of the league or six teams in the league because. The last relegation spot was still up in the air, and, and anything could have happened. Um, so that that was going all the games were going back and forth. Every goal was changing changing the the scoreboard and, and the table like constantly. It, it was awesome. Uh, I happened to look up, and then I noticed you know Lazio and and Inter, you know Lazio had just went up two to one. So I started watching that game because that that was becoming a very um, so I got a multiple screens going up at one time. Um, that goal that uh. So Lazio were up two to one at this point, you know, late in the game, mm-hmm. 75th minute or whatever. They take off Chiro Immobile, leading scorer in the league. Why do you take off your best player? We had this conversation before about why do you take off Icardi with uh, Inter winning and then they end up, you know, blowing the game. Mm-hmm. Same thing here with Lazio. They they've done this all year. You saw what they did to Red Bull Salzburg. They blew it. They had a 5-1 lead against them and blew that away in Europa League. Uh, same thing here where their best player goes off the pitch. And all of a sudden they implode. Icardi, you know, gets taken down in the box, like you said, by De Vrij, uh, future uh, Inter Milan player. Mm-hmm. Uh, Icardi steps up, ties not only the game but ties Immobile for the league leading goals at that point. Uh, and then just minutes later, um, Matthias Vecino scored the goal to get. I mean, that was a great goal, a great reaction. I don't like Inter, but I enjoyed that game and the result. Uh, <laughs> you don't to... like Inter? Oh man, that you had I'm to. Nice. Yeah, nice. yeah, you had to stab that one. I see. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I know it does. Well, we're about to find out who you like because uh, there's, you know, the, the, as I said, it's 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 no secret who the who the, uh, the the focus team is, the future team is tonight. So, 
uh, as you just mentioned, uh, let's 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 talk about this. We we talk about Devry. Obviously, the penalty that sets Mauro Riccardi up for the equalizer with the penalty. Um, do you take the approach if you're in, if you're in Zaghi that much like Jurgen Klopp did against Bayern back in the 2013 Champions League final, he faced a similar situation with Mario Götze being uh, a transfer to Bayern in the very next match. So whenever that match was going to be uh, for the next season, that's his new club. So now, out of all the clubs in Europe he could have faced in the Champions League final, it's Bayern that stand across from him. So he decided, I'm going to bench Götze. He's not going to be. He's not going to be a factor in this match. So with the Rye going to of all teams enter in the next season, would Inzaghi have been second guessed, or am I am I am I in, am I wrong? As some people support my theory that he should have just sat in sat sat the Vry and then just you know play with what happens. It's a it's a certainly an interesting theory because um, you know you're not you're not only fa- going against a player who's going to the team that you're facing, but the Champions League is on the line. Only one of these two teams are going to be making it next year. So you had to weigh that into your consideration. Now, I'm sure what Inzaghi was thinking, unlike Klopp, he was thinking, you know, DeVry is a professional player. I expect him to do as best he can. Uh, but you also got to think in the back of your mind. I mean, if the you know, push comes to shove, would DeVry want to be in Champions League next year or does he not want to be in Champions League next year? You know, you got to kind of question that. I mean, I'm not going to, don't, I don't know for sure what happened with, with the penalty. Uh, I can't say DeVry did it on purpose or not. Uh, it was certainly a penalty, <laughs> is what it was. But uh, I think Inzaghi was thinking that play. He's going to give him the benefit of the doubt, think he's a professional, and let him play and try to change the game uh, in favor of Lazio. But it, it's a tricky call. I mean, like you said, uh, the game's on the line. Champions League is on the line. Uh, it's something, if you have another defender that you can put out there, um, do it. But, you know, Lazio are not the greatest defensively, so maybe he had no really option to put there other than wingbacks. Um, so that could have been favored heavily into his uh, his game plan there. So I don't know. Well, Richard, it's a very it's a very tough situation because if you're Devry and you if you win with Lazio, you miss the Champions League next season with Inter. But if you lose with Lazio, yeah, Lazio, your club that your outgoing club, they don't make the Champions League and they get picked apart by the vultures uh, in the transfer window. But you get to play personally with Inter in the Champions League next season. So from the not just the Inzaghi aspect of things, where he's looking at, I am going to be at this club next year. I'm the manager. I want to. I want that 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 European payday. And Devry, whose mentality could have been totally opposite, because he is not going to be there next year. The team that's going against him, that's his new home. If he doesn't lose this game. Then there is no Champions League for him next season. I mean, that's that's such a predicament for Devry himself to be in. A very high pressure. Imagine, imagine the locker room next year if, if Inter had lost that game and he goes in there and he was his because maybe he scored a goal or something to get Lazio to go through. What would the locker room be like with him? Would they accept him? I doubt it. It may be more uh, chaotic than the situation with uh, Maro Icardi at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I agree. Nonetheless, uh, it was a very exciting uh, final match day and. Um, we're going to go on to move on to the next topic, which is going to be uh, <laughs> AC Milan and uh, the Rossoneri. And uh, as far as um, where where do they go from here? So obviously they spend uh, almost 200 million euros last season. 
uh, as said, some of the names that were that they they spent their money on were some high profile names. You had uh, Frank Kessi, who was the loan from Atalanta, Andre Silva coming in from Porto, uh, Fabio Borini, which still doesn't make sense to me, was from Sunderland. <laughs> Uh, Hakan Chanalulu, who had a great season until he was suspended with Leverkusen last year, so that made a lot of sense, and he did play very well for them. Andrea Conti from Atalanta, another good one. Ricardo Rodriguez, who uh, he had his moments at Wolfsburg. Um, I wouldn't say he was the most consistent player, but you know, change of scenery does a lot of good sometimes. So this could have been the the the, the place for him. I would say he had a better season for Milan than he did for Wolfsburg, uh, but that's obviously debatable. Lucas Biglia from Lazio. And obviously what they thought was the signing of the season was going to be Leonardo Bonucci from Juventus. Um, yeah. Found out that he is more a cog in the wheel in the Juventus three-man three, three backline than the actual star because he did not, he was not able to duplicate the fantastic play that he had for the grand old lady uh, as he did with uh, AC Milan. So it, it's... Um, and of course, the ever the, the the constant whipping boy for AC Milan this season is, is <laughs> a guy a guy that um, unfortunately Nikola Kalinic, who came in as you said at the last minute, and he has been the whipping boy for pretty much every single AC Milan pundit from the very start of the season until the end. So we're gonna so so just jumping into things, where does um. Where do you see AC Milan going from here? Because they have this huge payroll that they they um, have. They have a, you know obviously they have a larger budget than most Serie A teams because they're one of the winningest teams in European history. But they've had a very very steep decline in the last five or six years, so to speak. The last half decade has not been kind to them. Uh, they're they're really living a lot off their name as far as transfers go right now. It's still prestigious to play for AC Milan, but at the same time, you want to play for a team that's going to play in the Champions League. You want a team that has top four potential. I myself thought absolutely without a doubt that after this spending spree last season, they would, they would, I, I, I thought they would challenge for the league. Certainly top four. I, I, I thought Champions League was out of the question of them not making that. So here we sit. Uh, June of 2018, and they're playing Europa League again. They are actually lucky to be playing Europa League because uh, for, a while, for a while there, they were not qualified for Europe at all. So where do they, where does, where do the uh, Rossoneri go from here, Richard, as far as trying to regain their footing in not just Europe, but really first and foremost, the league? I firmly believe that... Milan is in Europa League because they want to win the title that they've never won before. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, like, a lot of people were saying that after these 11 signings or whatever came in last summer, um, that Milan were going to do well this, this past season. Uh, a lot of people were saying, like, like you were saying, they were pegging them in a possible contender for the Scudetto this year. I didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, Frank Corbello and myself on Serie A sit down. We were saying, you know, this Milan, how can a team with 11 new players gel quickly and start off right, start off hot off the bat? It's not going to happen. They're going to take time to gel. Uh, Milan took a lot longer to gel than, than we were expecting, than many people were expecting. I still had them in as a third or fourth place team. I thought them and Inter were going to make it and Lazio was going to be out. Now, I was right, right about Lazio being out, but uh, it wasn't, it was a, it wasn't, I was completely wrong about Milan. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, the signings that they had were, were very curious ones. Um, before we, before I get on to where they go from here, let's look back at some of the players that they have. I mean, that they 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 got. Um, you know, the play, they had a plan going into the summer, and they were sticking to it, right? Uh, even Fabio Barini somehow went into that mix. I don't know how it how it did. He had, he actually been one of the better signings of the, of the team of all the signings they had. He was one of the most consistent ones, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, he's not somebody you expect to you know to, to bring in to make your team stronger. Uh, but when Leonardo, Leonardo Bonucci fell to them, they threw everything out the window and just went for whatever. Um, I, I, Leonardo Bonucci, Leonardo Bonucci, uh, excuse me, he uh, fantastic player at Juventus, no doubt about it. No, uh, no question. Milan, yeah, coming to Milan, thought he was going to be take he's going to take uh, the defense there into a new new level, and they're going to be with the back line they were assembling. It was going to rival Juventus from the previous season. It took him a lot longer to get acclimated to being the guy at Milan. At Juventus, he was not the guy. There was always Buffon. There was always Chiellini, Brazzali. So many guys in front of him. He was a part of a cog, like you said. Uh, and he was the star when he was in that cog. But uh, individually, it, it, when he went to Milan, he, it, was, it was almost too much for him. He wasn't expecting. He, I mean, not, not only was he the main guy there, he was given the captain's armband. Um, granted, I think it was a better choice than Montalivo, but that's just me. <laughs> Uh, so I think it took him a while. I think part of the, part of the reason it took him so long to get acclimated to the team also was not also not only himself but Romagnoli was playing way below par. Uh, they couldn't figure out in the beginning. They had you know they had Musacchio. They picked up. They thought it was three great defenders: Bonucci, Musacchio, and uh, Romagnoli. So they were trying to figure out a way to have all three play at one time with three back, three guys in the back, but two wing backs uh, with Montalivo and I mean uh, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez and Andrea Conti on the wings. Um, that wasn't working out. I, I, I liked the idea by Montella originally, but uh, they didn't give him enough time. Uh, they certainly didn't give Muzaki enough playing time this year because I think he is a, a good defensive player. Mm-hmm. Um, Romagnola came on slowly, and as the season went on, he became one of the best players in the second half of the season for, for Milan. And as a result, Bonucci got better in the second half. Uh, and those two actually did become a, a very good uh, back line other than the Coppa Italia final, which I don't want to really talk about. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about it. We, 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 we have we we have to we have to because it's because it, it, the, the the reason I want to, the reason I do and I will I will get to the Coppa Italia final here in a little bit. But uh, before we do that, I wanted to talk about a couple of guys. Uh, the, the the two the, obviously <clears throat> uh, the two big names that you guys uh, got as far as the scoring threats were Andre Silva from Porto and obviously uh, Nikola uh, Kalinic and. Both of them really underwhelmed uh, in their own right. Now, uh, when we were in the uh, pre-pod talks, you said you had a different, a little bit of a different opinion on Andre Silva. Now, Silva comes in with a massively impressive uh, two goals scored. He had no assists, uh, so I am dying to hear <laughs> the explanation. Now, he only played in his defense 922 Serie A minutes this season. So uh, much, much in the role of a sub, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't even get to 1,000 minutes. Uh, Kalinic, on the other hand, played 18-13, so almost 2,000 minutes, had six goals, three assists, but a lot of that, as we said before, was masked by a brace here or uh, some mop-up time there. And the, the, the most impressive uh, guy uh, of the three, though, that we didn't, obviously wasn't spent big last summer. He was already uh, an existing player on the team, was Patrick Cutrone, which uh, had a fantastic season 
He himself only played 1,500 minutes, but he scored 10 goals. The only Milan player to score double-digit goals also had two assists. So with that said, the money spent on Andre Silva, why do you feel that he wasn't a bust in, in I guess, in any case? Uh, I don't know if I wouldn't say I wouldn't wasn't a bust, bust necessarily because there was 38 million uh, euro price tag on him. You're expected to score double-digit goals. Right. I'm, I'm playing it simple. Um, and he didn't do that in any sense. Um, he, he didn't give ample opportunity in the beginning of the season. Montella, for whatever reason, was going with Nikola oh, with uh, Montella and, and Gattuso. For whatever, whatever reason, they were going with Nikola Kalinic. Um, I don't know if he had a, a, you know, compromising pictures of, of, their, <laughs> of their family or something, but uh, as Franco says, I don't know, because why he started like most of the games, it's beyond me. Um, Kutrani was getting some uh, glimpses here and there, but mostly... Andre Silva was getting Europa League time, and Europa League he was actually shining. I think he had ended up having like nine goals in Europa League, um, and so with the two goals in in Serie A, it put the total to something like eleven, and he may have had some goals in Coppa Italia. Um, so I don't think he got fair enough time to play in the beginning of the season, so it took him longer to get acclimated. The, the, the story we keep hearing is that Andre Silva has to get learn learn the game before he can start playing. Uh, I'm sorry, you can't learn the game from the bench. Or, or in practice, you got to be on the pitch to learn the game, to learn the nuances of Italian soccer. Correct. And he wasn't getting that chance, so it took him longer to acclimate. Finally, I mean, he's got immense talent. I mean, you can see it when watching him. It just his finishing product this year, for whatever reason, is not is not there. I mean, when you see him with Portugal, he's still scoring. Maybe it helps to have Ronaldo on your wing. I don't know, uh, but <laughs> it probably I'm does. Sure it does. I'm sure it does. <laughs> yeah. But. I don't think he was given fair fair opportunity in the beginning, and it took him a while. I mean, Europa League, he did well, but obviously that was much lesser defensive uh, teams that they were playing against. So, yeah, you're going to score against you know, um, the Aldeburgs of the world and all, and all the teams they, they, they face. Uh, but still, he did score in the beginning. Uh, and the Serie A was just as another beast that it took him a while to get out. I, I would like to see another season out of him, but I don't know if it, it will come for Andre Silva. Nikola Kamalovic was just a shit show from start to finish. So why was he a shit show? <laughs> he was a... the wrong signing. So Milan, you know, with their, all their wisdom, they, you know, they kept talking about we're going to get this big old striker because they were confident they were going to get Andrea Bellotti or uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang from Dortmund. At the yeah, time. y'all weren't getting him. Sorry. Well, yeah. Well, and, and Cairo from Torino was saying the same thing. They both put I think ninety million euro price tags on them. Milan tried to get both of them for like sixty million euros, and both, you know, both. Uh, both teams are saying we're not budging. You you got to pay ninety million to get get to, get the guy, and when they realized the window was getting ready to close and they had no striker that they that they promised, they started reaching, and the, the, the only thing they could reach for was Nikola Kalinic. And Montella must have liked him when he was in Fiorentina. Um, he, he was a serviceable guy in Fiorentina, but he is not a striker you bring in with, with all the quality players that they brought or they thought they brought. Um, Kalinic is not the guy to lead the line for that for that team. And he, he he was inconsistent in Fiorentina, and he's he was for a, a heck of a terrible player uh, this past season for Milan because he, he just he was he didn't have the work rate he didn't have he didn't have the power of the play go through sort of run um, and he was just struggling he was just, uh, he he does some things very well like hold up the ball and, and distribute it but his finishing is is much to be desired. So that brings us to uh, a couple other players. Um, you know, guys that impressed obviously were uh, Frank Kessie had a had a fantastic season. Hakan Chanalulu might have been one of the better signings of that group that we talked about before 
Um, like I said, I he he was tied and he was tied with uh, Suso for uh, most assists on the team uh, with seven. And I was a I was a big fan of his at uh, Bayer Leverkusen. I thought that he was a fantastic player for uh, Roger Schmidt back in the day. And really, we didn't get to see his best because he got suspended for something he did when he was 21 years old. We're not going to get into the politics of that, but uh, just the ruling that came uh, after the fact on that was just quite, quite ridiculous. He, he did the suspension, but he never played after February of last season, another match for uh, Bayer Leverkusen. And uh, he kept the same colors, uh, the shirt, so um, he went from red to red. But he has been a player that I feel like was sort of under the radar this year uh, for AC Milan. What were your impressions of the other signings uh, besides the uh, the aforementioned big names? Um, so you know, like you, I, I we're a Bundesliga Bundesliga guys. So yes. You know, we, we know about Hakan Chalanolu. Yep. Um, I knew about him before, and I was excited because his free kick ability is ridiculous. Yes. He's one of the best in the world in free kicks, especially from distance. Uh, he's got a rocket. Mm-hmm. So when they signed him, I said, okay. Milan got a player, watch out, he's going to become the playmaker. And for whatever reason, Montella wasn't playing him in the beginning. Uh, he didn't, I don't know if he didn't trust him or it was a language barrier or what, but uh, Chalanolu was not getting the pitch time that he deserved. <coughs> um, and then even early on with uh, Gattuso, but Gattuso saw right away, uh, and I must be in practice, that Chalanolu has something special to him. It's obvious. Uh, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he can hold the ball like no other, can pass it, can shoot at both, both feet. Um, so he started getting the pitch time, and it's not a surprise that as he got more pitch time, the better he got. And other than Romagnoli, he was probably the best player for Milan in the second half of the season. Uh, he he almost carried them on their back week in and week out. Seeing all the big games, it was what was Chalinoli with an assist or a goal. Um, he was just that good of a player, and and he was everything that I thought he was going to be for Milan. It just took him uh, half a season to get into it because he finally got his chance with Gattuso. So. And, Leading a uh, nice segue into Gattuso because I, I'll ask this now. Gattuso, uh, after Montella got uh, the sack, uh, May- Milan found themselves in a really crappy position around Christmas time because they they were in jeopardy of missing Europe altogether, uh, something that this club could absolutely not afford to do. Europa League is not where they want to be, but that's way better than not being anywhere at all. So Montella had had had, you know, and, and some people say it's not entirely his fault. As you said, they had a lot of new players. It takes time for those players to gel. They did not do that at first, and they fell into a very big hole. Gattuso comes on the scene, former AC Milan player, actually club legend. I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. He's a, he's a, he's a, he is a club legend, uh, known to be a uh, fighter, known to be someone that uh, loves and plays for the crest and the shirt. And he was brought into reignite some pride and some fight in these boys and he did do that he went on a long unbeaten streak and they were at one point five points back of inter uh for i believe it was at that time either fourth place or fifth place it was it was very bunched up between third and sixth uh roma lazio inter and milan were both separated all four of them by about maybe seven points, let's say. Because I think Roma and Lazio were a point ahead of Inter, and Inter was like five points ahead of Milan. But at one time, the gap to Inter was like 12 or 13 points. It was absolutely ridiculous. And it looked like it was something that that, that could not be undone. And then just when Inter has the gap closed on them, AC Milan take another downward spiral. 
So what happened? Uh, what, what what happened after the hot start with Gattuso to basically take AC Milan out of uh, Champions League contention? Well, really, uh, before they got the hot start, they got a, a really shitty start. They lost to Benevento, or they drew Benevento, uh, and then they, I think they lost uh, with an Azer. It was a really bad start for Gattuso, but then he got in a really hot streak. Um, like you said, they were within five points of Inter Milan and, and a Champions League spot. Um, it was closing in on them. And the impossible seemed possible at that point. Uh, but then they just, they, whatever reason, they every team goes through a lull in the season. Um, Inter had it. Lazio had it. Had it. Uh, you, uh, Napoli even had it. Um, Milan, they just seemed to lose concentration. And games where they would get the lead, they'd blow it at the end. I mean, sometimes they'd be, have a 2 nothing lead and, and give up two goals late in the game. Or a game that they're looking to draw and they end up losing that game. Um, and it, it culminated really in the Coppa Italia final with that big, with a bitter de- defeat there. But I mean, they—I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe they got too excited at the possible prize of Champions League and started uh, trying a little harder. And sometimes when you try, like in hockey, if you try, if you try gripping the stick too much, you're trying to score more, you're going to start missing more. Uh, maybe it's the same thing. And with these guys, they were trying to do more than they could and got away from the game plan. Uh, it's really hard to pinpoint one thing because. I mean, obviously, the offense wasn't there. They weren't scoring goals. They had the possession. Uh, they had the shots, but they weren't quality shots. They weren't quality goals. I mean, you have Kalanen starting, so that's probably part of the problem right there. <laughs> right, right. Well, let me ask you something. Uh, what happened with – because if, if, if you'd have told me in, uh, I believe it was uh, March, either late March or early April when this fixture happened, if you'd have told me that AC Milan was playing Arsenal in the Europa League, I would have I put bet my car that AC Milan – beat the crap out of Arsenal. And it just so happened to be the exact opposite. Arsenal dominated AC Milan, uh, I think it was 5-1 on aggregate. Just uh, totally the opposite of what I thought was going to happen. What, what, what as, as, as someone who follows them closely, what happened in that two-leg fixture with Arsenal that just made it look so lopsided? I, I too, was in a, in a boat where I thought Milan was going to dominate <clears throat> Arsenal. Based on, based on form, one was hot, one was not. Um, to say Arsenal dominated, I'm not going to go that far. Um, I thought it was fairly even. It was just a couple stretches of poor play by Milan that led to those goals. Um, and, but what it was, Arsenal was clinical with their finishing, and Milan were not. Mm-hmm. Um, they had their chances to get, make it a game. I mean, to be fair, the thing that pisses me off still is in that game, they were what they went to lose the first leg two two nothing. I think it was. I uh, yeah, it was. yeah, I believe it was two nothing, and then three one on the backside. Right, so at that point in the, in, the, in the second leg, they had scored the goal to make it interesting. Uh, they had that goal by Chalhanolu, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes it two-one. Arsenal looked like they were getting shaky there. Uh, it looked like the game, was, uh, the whole the legs were going to switch on them. And then they had that that dodgy, dodgy penalty that in, uh, Arsenal got, and then they ended up going and get the choice goal. I think when that goal, when that play happened, Milan said we're doomed to lose, and they just threw their hands up, and Arsenal just went and scored goals. I mean, Benevento could have scored goals at that point because they 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 re, they were resigned to losing at that point because uh, they had the momentum when that Talanolo goal went in. They had all the momentum at the Emirates. Uh, it looked like they were gonna take the game, and then the penalty happened, and then they they said, you know what, we're, we're done. Yeah, and that's what it was, and that's what it looked like. They looked like they just gave up, and Arsenal just took them took them to school and beat them back one overall. So. So let's 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 talk quickly then. Uh, after the uh, Champions, I mean the Europa League uh, knockout, uh, is 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 Gattuso the right guy for this club moving forward? Uh, what what are your thoughts? I mean, he obviously, 
he was brought in to do something specific, and for a long time, a long stretch of the season, especially the second half of the season post-New Year's, he did that. He got Milan back on a winning track. He got them to close the gap uh, to the Champions League, and then it all fell apart at the end. And as you mentioned, uh, you've mentioned now twice, you're the one that said you didn't want to talk about the uh, Copa Italia final, but you keep bringing it up. <laughs> so absolutely gets demolished in the Copa Italia final, 4-0 to Juventus. Yeah. And yeah. I can tell you that as an Inter fan, I was pulling for, for Milan in that match because I'm sick and tired of Juventus. And I, all I wanted to hear from their supporters was how they did four doubles in a row and all this bullshit. But uh, nonetheless, that is exactly what happened. So is Gattuso, is he the right guy for this club moving forward? When they initially signed him, I, I love Gattuso, I've always loved Gattuso, but I mm-hmm. thought it was the wrong decision then. Um, but I was going to wait and see to see how it would come out. And it, and it turned out to be a really nice thing. <clears throat> um, his motivation tactics, well, they said he didn't have any tactics, what I think was, which is wrong, uh, unfair assessment on him. They're not the greatest, greatest. He's not the greatest tactician, but he has tactics in him. Um, he's, he's used several formations. When I started digging up his uh, prior coaching history, while it looked bleak, he did have some some things that were that were full of optimism. Anyway, so Milan did well, um, and then you know they struggled down the stretch. Is is Gattuso the guy for Milan? I don't think so. Um, and I was surprised when they failed to get Champions League and got obliterated in the Coppa Italia final. Um, that they were going to give him an extension, and they did. Um, it'll it might work for a little bit, but I can see this. I can see this going like Montella did last year, where he'll be in there for a couple games, and then as soon as it starts going down, and they're dropping below tenth, tenth or whatever, they're gonna they're gonna ax him and somebody else. It's gonna be a rotation. Inter's had it. Uh, Juventus had it. Oh, Juventus really never had it, but a lot of teams have had that where it's been a rotation of guys and just go constant, the same old, same old. Yeah. Um, hope he's the guy. Um, he has the fire and the passion to be, be the guy, but I don't <clears> think tactically he has what it takes to be the guy the guy at Milan, especially if uh, more and more players start coming in that if they don't get banned, um, more and more players will start coming in and how can he handle all those egos? I mean, he did it well as a player, but as a coach, it's a different thing. You gotta, you can't be as aggressive as you were as a player. You know, It's a different thing. You can't push in guys. And punch, uh, he did let guys punch him, ironically enough, but that's a, that's a would you ever would you ever consider uh, looking at Gasparini from Atalanta as far as uh, a, repla- a, a, a replacement for for Milan as the manager? Gasparini was my choice for manager of the year. So okay. yes, okay. Um, I think he's a fantastic player uh, manager. Uh, what he does with young talented players that you've never heard of uh, is ridiculous. He he gets every year all the vultures come and take his best players. And what does he do? He finds new studs <clears throat> uh, from different parts of the world. And he's back in the Europa League. This year. <coughs> um, at one point, if it wasn't for Europa League this year, I think Atalanta could have been a, a Champions League team. Um, Europa League, their their main goal this obviously was Europa League, and they did well. They ended up losing to Dortmund <coughs> in, uh, in the quarterfinals, I think it was. Uh, but once they Europa League was out of it, they were I think something like 12th or 13th in Serie A when they got out of Europa League, and they went all the way up to seventh place. Um, they were one of the best teams in Serie A the second half of the season. Gasparini is a a wonderful manager, and I wouldn't, I would not mind to see him at um, Milan. Um, though the question will beg too that he's never quite the talent that Milan or any of these uh, top six teams have. Yeah, uh, he's always had small minnow players that nobody knows of, and right. so he can mold them the way he wants them. But if you got someone like not Kalinic, but a Banucci or a Romagnoli or or guys like that, 
um, how how will they take to his tactics? And I, that I don't know. That's the, that's the wild card. Yeah. So with that being said, uh, with the buying of the players last season, the spending spree. Do you think that AC Milan? You think going to offload anybody this offseason? Uh, and if they do offload, who will it be? And uh, what kind of additions will they make to strengthen the squad? Nikola Kalinic, gone. Gone. He needs to be gone. Okay. Um, well, I don't know. That's just, not just my opinion. I think that's everybody's opinion. I think Milan's opinion as well. Um, it all depends on whether they get banned from Europa League or not because of this financial fair play. I think if they, the ruling comes back and says, <clears throat> you know, we're not going to ban you, just get a fine or something, and they stay in, I, I already know they had Immobile, Falcao, Memphis Depay, um, and some other big players on their list to come in this year. So they're going to try to spend again. Um, but however, if they don't, if they do get banned, I see players leaving. Uh, Donnarumma is possible. Um, Kalinic got, has to go. Andre Silva will probably go, even though I don't want him to go. Um, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez is one that you got to think about. I mean, with David Calabria back there and Andrea Conte being fully healthy, and you, you obviously have Abate back there, Calabria can play both wings, both sides. So he, for me, would be the guy in the left wing. Ricardo Rodriguez was a guy with some... He has, he has a good passer of the ball with his left foot, but he's much to be desired defensively. Um, and I think we saw that this year. I mean, we obviously saw it at Wolfsburg, and this year in Milan, uh, a lot of teams were taking advantage of them through Ricardo Rodriguez because of his lapses in defense. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of players... It, it all depends on the financial player play. If they, if they, if they get banned, they're going to lose some players. Um, but if they stay in, I can see more players coming in. I, I still think Kalinic is probably going to go, and Andre Silva will probably go either way. But uh, there could be more chips to fall, depending on what the what the outcome of this financial fair, financial fair play is in, in the next week, or a few weeks or so. I'm just not a fan of purchasing a player and then letting them go in one season. However, uh, I do agree with you on the Kalinic thing. I, I I disagree, and I know you're you're not saying to sell uh, Silva. So you and I are in agreement not to sell Silva, but I, I, I disagree right. with the entire notion that Silva should be sold because, as you said, he he started off uh, very rough under uh, Montella. He did not get the playing time until Gattuso came in. After that, he sort of stabilized. I think that, you know, obviously in the Portugal side, he plays very well. I would definitely give him a second season. I, I think that it can only go up here for Silva. Kalinic just seems like a bad fit, period. So uh, that's 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 my take on it as, um, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a I would say, I'm not going to say a neutral, I'm not a neutral towards AC Milan, that's for damn sure. But, <laughs> um, if I, but if, I, if I were playing with them, you know, in football manager, uh, <coughs> this is, that's, that's, that's what I would do as far as trying to, to stabilize them. But in, in it, one last thing, what, who would you want to see come in? Because you talk, we talked about uh, uh, possible sales, but as far as buying, who would you want to see come in to try and get them, if they uh, don't have to deal with the financial fair play, to strengthen the squad, to try and get back into the top four conversation next season? Any players that you have your eye on? If we had Manchester City money? Um, I, they, need a, <laughs> they need a new left back. It's obvious. Or, or, or they got a... I mean, yeah, I think they need a new left back because, I mean, yeah, Calabria could play, but, hey, get more depth. You know, get rid of Rodriguez and get find someone else. Uh, but they need an attacker. Uh, I like the name. I mean, they're linking, they're linked to Chiro Immobile. That would be a great, great pickup. Or Balotti, um, who was uh, Falcao. You know, he's older. He can still score goals in bunches. 
Um, I like the name Memphis Depay. Uh, mm-hmm. He struggled at United, went to Lyon, and he kind of re- found himself again. And uh, Milan need a winger type. They don't really have that. I mean, they have Chalonolo playing on the wing, but he's really, I think, a, a trecortista, uh, a ten role. Um, and I don't think he should be, even though he's good at the left side, I think he belongs in the middle. Mm-hmm. Suzo is in the right. Maybe, you know, we're talking about getting rid of players. Maybe now is the time to get rid of Suzo. It sounds ridiculous as a Milan fan because uh, he's their best player, but maybe he doesn't get any better than this. Who knows? Uh, get him while the iron's hot, and if they can get him for like 50 million euros, that may be a time to sell. Um, but I think a striker is what they need a, a quality striker, not a Nikola Kalinic replacement or uh, replicate. Um, and midfield, I like as well. It's just uh, defense, left back need to. Um, find some someone there, and again, if Donnarumma <clears> leaves, <throat> what do you do? I know they got Pepe Reina in, who I, I hated that signing, but if Donnarumma does go, at least you'll have Pepe Reina there while Plizzari becomes the heir apparent, because Plizzari has just as much talent as Donnarumma. He could even be better than Donnarumma. Yeah. Um, he just needs his opportunity. So, uh, having said that, I think that it goes without saying that AC Milan is... They're one of the traditional clubs in Serie A. I, as as an Inter supporter, I think that the Serie A is a better league and is a is is a first of all a more attractive league to the neutral observer, a better league for the uh, diehard fan. When Inter and AC Milan are in that top four discussion, in the Champions League discussion, and are challenging for Scudetto, I think that you and I can both see eye to eye on that. Despite the fact that one of us is Nerazzurri, yes. the other one is Rossoneri. I think that it is a Shame what has happened to both sides in the past half decade, but it looks like Inter has sort of recovered, and it looks like AC Milan, with the right tweak here or there, could be on their way to recovery as well. I think they're 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 definitely both of them are turning corners, but uh, I do think in the long term that both still have a ways to go because for Inter it's about sustainability. Now, can you do this two years in a row? For AC Milan, it's getting back to that point, but uh, both of them combined. Uh, double-digit uh, UEFA uh, Champions League titles or uh, European Cups, however you want to look at it. They, they're, they're two of the most prestigious clubs in, in, in football history. So uh, they, it, would, it would be a, a, welcome, a welcomed uh, addition back to the Champions League to have uh, AC Milan back in there. I think that, that that's both for the league and for Europe would be a, 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 a much-needed return. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, just to get a glimpse of what you were just talking about, how the league would be better with uh, Milan and Inter and all this stuff. Coming into this year after Milan made all those purchases, all of a sudden every sports media t- uh, media news outlet was talking about Milan. Serie A was in the news all of a sudden because Milan were back, supposedly, with all these players, and they're spending again. Their giants are back. So I, I, it, it makes sense. Like, it agrees with what you say is, you know, with a strong Milan, Inter, Juventus, uh, Roma, Lazio, Serie A is going to be better for that. The traditional teams being at the top, uh, you're going to draw interest from outside of Italy, uh, not just, just the, the, the normal Italian fans, but you, get, you know fans from England, from Germany, from all over the world, uh, Asia. So I, I agree with you. If, the, if all these teams can come back, especially Milan now because they're like the last <clears> of the teams, uh, Serie A will be back to its heyday like it was in the 90s. Most definitely. Well, we're going to switch to something else uh, that's uh, about to be in, back in its heyday again, and we're going to talk about the 2014, uh, 2014, the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Mother Russia. Um, 
I know that uh, Donald Trump's best friend, Vladimir Putin, is very excited about this tournament. Uh, it is in his home country. We're just going to take a quick look at the, uh, the, the, the eight groups and look at who is going to come out of those eight groups and what we're going to look at as far as the quarterfinals and, and so forth. So, Richard, I know that you said you uh, filled out a bracket. And, yep. Yep. George, I'm going to bring you in here. Um, have you – do you have – do we have? Uh, do you have your winners of each of the uh, eight groups and the second place teams, as well as the third and fourth place? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's start off in Group A real quick. This is um, this is an interesting group because you have uh, possibly the best player in the world for 2017-18, uh, Mohamed Salah. His uh, Egyptian side will feature in this group along with uh, Luis Suarez and Uruguay. Also, you have the host Russia. And Saudi Arabia. So for the, I'm trying to think here, uh, it's not been many times, but I know USA 94, I believe South Africa 2010, and that's about it in recent history. I think the host team could be in danger of not making it out of the group stage. The USA, of course, did make it out in 94, and it cost one Colombian player his life. Um and South Africa did not in 2010. So, I, I so I'm going to go with you guys first, and I'll get my points. Uh, George, so wh what do you see here for Group A? Um, well, I believe Russia. I, I can't see them being an incredibly strong outfit. I think they lack quality in personnel, and they play a very compact system, which is rather negative. So I, I, I can't see them being a too exciting team to watch over. And the only quality I can really see is with the striker, um, Smolov, who's been top goal scorer in the Russian League for the last two out of three seasons, apart from last season. Um, and probably uh, Golovin, the central midfielder, who's been linked with Arsenal um, within the last year or so. And maybe the key crack in five. So with Russia, I, I, I could probably see a group stage exit for them. Um, and also with Saudi Arabia, because Van Marwijk, the manager, left shortly after uh, successfully qualifying him for the World Cup. So I can see those two being the teams to exit in the group stage. I can see Egypt. I, I can't see them beating Uruguay on the opening game. But I can see them narrowly making their way through, especially if Salah is fit, which is of paramount of importance. Um, but no, I think Uruguay, I think Uruguay would be the winners in Group A. Richard, do you think that Mohamed Salah is well, is more is more important to Liverpool or more important to Egypt? Oh, that's a tough question. Mm -hmm. um, it's 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 both really. I mean, I don't think Egypt gets out of the group stages without Mo Salah, and I think Liverpool are are most dangerous when Mo Salah is there when he's not there. I mean, obviously, they're they're Liverpool is dangerous. So I, well, okay, let me look at it this way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Egypt. Egypt needs Mo Salah more than Liverpool. Liverpool have okay. enough there where they can still be relevant, uh, still be dangerous. We saw that in the Champions League, right? Um, in the finals. Egypt, though, they don't really have much to go with. Um, it's Mo Salah or bust. And if he's not, if he comes into the World Cup unhealthy because of that clavicle injury or whatever it was, um, they're gonna be. It's gonna be that. It's gonna be them and Russia flip flopping. Because I'm, I'm kind of with George. Uh, even though Russia is a home country, I don't I don't fancy the way they play or anything about them. Nothing screams offensive or or positive uh, football. It, it screams defensive. 
Um, so if Mosalah is healthy, I think Egypt are going to go through uh, barely, as George said. Uh, Uruguay should take the group uh, fairly comfortably. Uruguay just has the most talent uh, on paper in this group by far and above with, with Edinson Cavani and Luis Suarez out front. And it, it just, it, this, this thing just reeks of nine points for them. I see three wins, no losses, no draws. I do agree that Egypt and Russia are the toss-up. That is a, a, a coin flip. And I, in my bracket, I have Egypt advancing, but I could just as easily see it going the other way. So uh, I think it sounds like all three of us have Uruguay and Egypt advancing. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Okay. So then we go to Group B. Okay, George, we have the 2010 World Champion Spain. In Group B, we have Portugal, which is a fantastic rivalry. That This is going to be quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, Morocco, and uh, we have Iran. So what are we looking at here, George, as far as um, I think the top two are pretty much certain, or is there going to be a surprise here? Um, I think the top two are certain. It's, it's, I think it just depends which one's going to come out as winners. I, I believe that Spain will do it, personally. They, I think the last time they've lost a game was in Euro 2016. Um, they've been really strong in the past couple of years, qualified very comfortably. Uh, they slipped up, um, I think it was a couple of days ago, against Switzerland, but they did dominate the game. Um, it was a De Gea mistake, which really cost them um, the win. But no, I think straight, uh, Spain will be the strongest team. Portugal, I think I thought they were fortunate to win Euro 2016. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think... The results that they were getting, I think they did, I think they won one game in normal time or didn't win a game in normal time. I, I can't see them beating Spain in the opening game, um, even even with Cristiano Ronaldo. So then we have you have uh, I guess Morocco third, Iran last. Yes, yeah, it's, it's these sort of teams that can. Maybe surprising. Morocco have been unbeaten during qualification. Um, but I just can't see them challenging Spain and Portugal. I think they're far too strong. Okay. Uh, Richard, is, is, is the Salah question with Egypt sort of the same, not on the same scale, but a little bit in the same direction as Ronaldo with Portugal? Because they're both obviously the best player on their club teams, which are both excellent teams. Tons of talent around them at Real Madrid and Liverpool, respectively. Portugal has less talent than Real Madrid, and Egypt has less talent than Liverpool. So is it, is it again, is it uh, with Portugal more of a same thing where they're highly dependent on one player in particular? There are some surrounding pieces, but they're not nearly as clinical or as important as the one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Ronaldo to Portugal is more important than Ronaldo to Real Madrid. Um, but... Portugal without Ronaldo is better can qualify out of the group stages, and Egypt cannot without Mo Salah. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the big difference. Uh, they have Portugal, while they're not as talented obviously as Ronaldo, it's hard to be as talented as Ronaldo. Uh, they have players on their team. Uh, Andre Silva, as we said, uh, on the on the national level, he can score goals, and of course it helps to have number seven out there. Uh, but they have players on their team. It's a, it's not a bad team at all. Uh, they're not the most talented team of, 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 of like compared <clears> to Spain. But it's a team that can qualify out of the out of the group stages certainly without Ronaldo. So um, it's the same boat with both Salah and 
and Ronaldo with their national teams, but uh, Portugal are in a better situation than than is Egypt. So, George and Richard, this is a question that it's a, it's a legitimate question. Um, I'll get you to answer first, George. But um, we said the same thing about Spain going into the 2014 World Cup. Uh, they're the defending reigning champions, haven't lost in forever. They won the 2012 European Championship, and they got absolutely demolished in the group stage. So why should we, why this time around, some of those players are older. Uh, some of those players that were there, like such as Xavi Alonso for the 2010 championship, won't be there. Why should I believe that Spain won't disappoint again? Um, I think there's some new players coming through into the team that are very promising. I, I also think that David Silva coming into the frame more regularly, um, I think he looks very strong at the moment. Uh, he's in, in form with Manchester City. And I also think the fact that Diego Costa in the team, I really think that is beginning, they're beginning to play slightly differently. They, put, they take a more direct route to goal, which I think in the World Cup could benefit them. I think at first, because they were so used to playing a possession-based style, the fact that they, Diego Costa was in the team sort of um, affected their style, whereas I think they began to adjust their style around him, and I think they look a, mu a much stronger outfit because of that. Okay. Uh, Richard, what are your thoughts uh, as far as Spain go? Spain, obviously, uh, is coming off a terrible 2014 World Cup, uh, and, and the three tournaments before that, they were absolutely fantastic, almost unbeatable. Uh, so this time around, though, do you think the pressure that first game is against their, their I don't want to say their arch rivals, but any time that you have a border war, such as Portugal and Spain, especially in a World Cup, that is uh, that's the anomaly. That's, that usually never happens. So is the pressure on Spain to get those three points in the first match and set the tone? Um, I don't know if the, I would say the pressure's on them. I think if they walk away with a draw, it's a good result. They don't want to lose. That's what they don't want to do. Um, I think, like George said, this, uh, this Spanish team is different uh, than the 2014 edition. Uh, they have different facets. Not, that, that 2014 team only played one way, and when, when, you, when they got found out that way, they couldn't do anything about it, and, other, and they had no plan B. This team has a plan B with, with Diego Costa, obviously, a direct route, like, he, like George said. Um, but they got these young players. Like since you missed the team, but uh, they got so many new young players that have that that hunger and drive. Uh, you got the savvy vets that are on the team as well. It's a good combination, um, good mix of play that they can switch up tempo. And uh, I really do like the Spanish team. And and if they don't get a win in the first game, it's not going to be the end of the world. If they lose, maybe they start reverting back to how they're feeling in um, 2014. But I don't see it. This team seems very very strong. Um, you know, and uh, I'm 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 looking for them to go very deep in this in this tournament. I just remember Louis Van Gaal dominated Spain, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I'm just saying Louis Van Gaal decimated Spain with the Netherlands. Anyways, moving on to Group C, we have a an extremely 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 deep France team. I mean, deep as deep can be. The French followed by the Danish, led by Ericsson. Then we have Australia with Mr. Matthew Leckie from Hertha Berlin. Cannot believe that I'm actually giving a, a, a Leckie <laughs> um, reference here. And Peru, the uh, 
the Peruvians who qualified off of the um, that playoff, the Coma Bowl, and I believe it was was it New Zealand they beat, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. New Zealand. So, uh, gentlemen, how do we see? Again, this seems like a very top-heavy group. So I'm a, I'm a, we we so far all three of us agree on the same picks. We have. Uruguay, Egypt, and Spain, Portugal from Group A and Group B. So let's see if we can differ on Group C. Um, George, what are your thoughts on Group C? France, are they the deepest team in this tournament uh, as far as uh, roster goes? And how dangerous is Denmark? Um, I believe Germany are the strongest, but yeah, I think France um, follow them after that. Denmark are a very strong team. They've got Delaney in the midfield as well as, obviously, Eriksson, um, Jorgensen up front, and remember, they got Christiansen, the Chelsea centre-back at the back. They've got quite a strong team, and I think I think they'll be challenging France. I really do. I've actually put down a draw for their fixture against France, but France topped the group on goal difference for me. Okay, Richard, how do you see Group C playing out? Do the Socceroos have any shot at all at causing some noise? No, um, I think France uh, obviously are going to be first. Uh, finish first. Uh, they're such a deep team. Um, here's where I differ. Um, I actually think Peru are boosted with uh, getting Guerrero for the World Cup. That they're going to actually get that second spot over Denmark, and I think the Socceroos are going to finish in fourth. Ooh, I just like uh, I just like the way Peru are, have been playing as of late, um, and having Guerrero, who they thought we're not going to have. Uh, He's he's a he's a good striker for 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 his his, his age, um, so I think he'll be a boost to them. I think they're going to surprise some people and and qualify for the out of the group stage. I, I do think Guerrero is a massive boost because a lot of their play goes for him. And I think if Farfan was playing as a makeshift striker, I, I don't I don't think their system would have worked at all. And I think now that he's back, there there is potential with Peru. I I, I do agree. So we all. Okay, so George, you and I agreed that France and Denmark, and it sounds like, Richard, you're going to go with France and Peru? Correct. Okay, great. Well, this is the group where we're going to differentiate, because this, I, I think this, <laughs> this, this might, in fact, be, just looking at this, this might be the group of death. Um, yeah. This is our boy, Kalinich. Nikola Kalinich's boys are in this group, uh, Richard. This is... <laughs> Croatia. You said that. I'm picking them four. All right, great. So... <laughs> I actually have Croatia topping the group. I have Croatia topping the group. Um, there is an immense amount of talent there. Obviously, Inter's own Brozovic is plays for Croatia. You also have uh, Ivan Perisic, who also plays for this other team in Milan. I don't know. This is a lot of great Milan, Inter Milan players here playing for uh, Croatia. But um, all, all jokes aside, they are they are a very talented group, and they have the 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 most recognizable kit in the whole world with the uh, white red checker pattern. So we have Croatia in this group, Argentina, who qualified for the World Cup by the skin of their teeth. I mean, just barely got in. Nigeria with Alex Iwobi. Uh, he is one of their star players, as well as Kalichi Iheanacho, uh, formerly of Manchester City, now of Leicester City. And Iceland, everyone's darlings from the 2016 European Championship. Iceland led by... Uh, Gilfi Sogerton. So, what do we have here, uh, George, as far as your Group D predictions? Who, who, do you think um, 
Is there a shot for someone to – let me put it like this. Is there, is there a chance due to the shakiness uh, – I, I know it was just a friendly, but Argentina got absolutely lambasted, you could say bitch-slapped in their last uh, – <laughs> six to one they lost uh, recently, and they did not look good in qualifying at all from start to finish. Are they vulnerable here to not make it through the group stage? I don't think to make it through the group stage. Um, but yeah, they have looked majorly vulnerable. I think leaving out Akadi, which I know there's things that have happened behind the scenes, which has, has sort of made that decision by itself. I thought that was a crazy move, to be honest. I mean, he's scored, is it 29 goals this yes, season? Yes, 29 goals. Um, yep. Yeah, I knew you weren't happy about that. I've, yeah. I think Argentina will. I think they will win the group. I've put Croatia second. Iceland, obviously, we've seen them beat England, which was not the greatest game to watch. I can't see Nigeria being a threat at all. They've got a young team. I mean, they're relying on John Obi Macau as a playmaker, which has worked in the national team, but I can't see it being an. A, being a success at the World Cup. Well, here's the question, George. Do you do you think that the that the secret is out about Iceland? Thanks to the 2016 European Championship, do you think more teams now will take them seriously and not overlook them? Yeah, I agree. They play a 4-4-2. It's obviously very old-fashioned, quite simplistic, and I think teams and managers will be wary of that. And I, I think I think the novelty will wear off at this World Cup. All right, Richard, so what, what does your group D look like? Uh, what, do you have any surprises for us, or is it going to be uh, Croatia, Argentina, in some form of uh, Nigeria, Iceland? It's going to be, to win the group, Argentina. Mm-hmm. Second place, the team that I love, and that is Nigeria. Okay. I think Nigeria is going to shock Croatia. I think Croatia, I love, I love Croatia's team, the players they have, but I feel like Especially college. What's that? I said especially Kalanich. <laughs> yeah, especially Kalanich. Uh, but I think they're 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 due to have a a lapse uh, in their play, and I and I think Nigeria can can nick them. Um, so I think Croatia is going to go third, and Iceland will finish bottom of the group. Here's opinion. here's an interesting scenario. If 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 Croatia lines up Brozovic the way that Spalletti did at Inter, playing that number six role, I think that. It adds a whole. He's just a different player in that in that role. Uh, they finally it took him a couple of years, but Inter found the right fit for him. Do you think that tactically, that he should mirror uh, club and country in order for Croatia to have a little bit of a boost? I think anytime a a player who does really well for their their club team is in a in a certain position, if he plays that same position in in a club in the national team, I think it, it can only do good things for them. When you start you know playing you know playing them in different roles. Uh, maybe they're not familiar with it. And some players, like Messi, can play all over the pitch. But uh, other players, I mean, Jonathan Mikel, like like George was saying, as a playmaker, he's done it before, but it's not his natural position. Um, so if you play Brozovic out of his natural position, which I think is the number six, um, you will you may not get the same results as as what you saw from him uh, with his with Inter Milan this season. Okay, so our group, our round of 16 is starting to look a little bit different between the three of us. So it looks like, Richard, you have Argentina and Nigeria, and it looks like myself and George have Croatia and Argentina. Yes, sir. Okay. Yep. 
Group E. We're going to go through, okay, uh, the hosts from 2014 who were absolutely slaughtered by the Germans, 7-1. to one. Brazil tried to rebound from their massive World Cup embarrassment at home, not just by Germany, but let's not forget the third-place game against Louis van Gaal. Louis van Gaal getting a lot of references here tonight, man. He did some, uh, he did some impressive things in uh, Brazil back in 2014. Not only did he beat Spain, but he, he beat Brazil on their home turf to win third place. Man, the days when the Netherlands were good. I do long for those days. It's, it's, such, yeah. a, it's such a shame not having that orange shirt in this uh, tournament. But nonetheless, I digress. Switzerland joins them, joined by the team Costa Rica from the CONCACAF as well as Serbia. So, George, how do we see Group E playing out? Uh, is it just going to be uh, nine points for Brazil and then everyone else is fighting for second? Um, yeah, I think it will go along those lines. I put Brazil for top, and only really because of their impressive performance at the 2014 World Cup. I've, I've went for Costa Rica in second. Serbia have a lack of experience uh, the team at major tournaments and from watching the Swiss against Spain a couple of days ago I know they picked up a draw against Spain um, the, the, the system was quite negative and I think they invite a lot of pressure on them and I think if Spain were probably more clinical say if it was a competitive fixture rather than a friendly I think they could have really been in trouble okay. so I went with Brazil Costa Rica, and then Serbia and Switzerland to go out. Okay. Uh, Richard, you know, Switzerland, they, they, they make some noise. They usually, uh, I think before the 2014 World Cup or either 2016 European Championship, they were ranked number four mm. in the world, I believe, by the FIFA rankings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they have some players. Uh, the Another AC Milan star, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, plays for them. All three goalkeepers you and I are both very familiar with because they all three play in the Bundesliga. You have Jan Sommer, yep. uh, the awesome, the greatest goalkeeper in the world, Mr. Roman Bürki, who makes, <laughs> he makes the best judgment calls at, at this side of uh, Loris Karius. And, oh, man, that's, I'm sorry. I'm, that, was, that, was, that was nice of me. And, of course, uh, last but not least, Another Dortmund keeper, Mr. Uh, Mr. Hitz, who declined his spot, I believe, with the national side. So now I don't know who their third keeper is, but it would have been those three. Uh, so, um, obviously, back in 2014, you had a, a much younger and uh, more potential showing Jordan Shakiri. Uh, Switzerland's changed, so they've changed a little bit here. Uh, so... Richard, how do you see Group E playing out? I think we can all agree that Brazil is going to top the group, but uh, do you see a fight for second as well? I do, and I think that this group is not going to be the most... Well, even though Brazil is in it, I don't think it's going to be the most aesthetically pleasing games uh, for all the games. Um, I think it's going to be uh, a nail-scratcher with most of them. I think Brazil will win the group. I don't think they'll get nine points. I think they may get a draw in one of the games, um, probably somewhere we don't expect it to. Um, Serbia. Costa <laughs> I don't I don't fancy Costa Rica as much as I did in the past. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe just because they beat the U.S. so many times. I don't know. Um, so yeah. I have them finishing last, actually. And I like Serbia, but, you know, you make some good points about Switzerland. And I, and I do like Switzerland in tournament time, um, though they have been performing not that great as of late. I, I, I think they're going to find a way to get that second spot over Serbia. Uh, and so I think it's Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, and Costa Rica. 
it always close. it always seems to me that Switzerland they are the Mexico of Europe. So they always get somehow into second place in the group stage, and they always right. get knocked out right. in the round of sixteen. <clears throat> so it, I, I I just find it hard to to go against them. But uh, Costa Rica definitely with Kayla Navas and goal. They they have some talent. Uh, they. Uh, you and I both probably watched them absolutely carve up the United States last November in the uh, qualifying, which was uh, yeah. a complete whitewashing. So, uh, yeah, they, they, can, they can beat you. And they have one of the world's finest goalkeepers in Navas who just won yet another Champions League. So, um, moving on to Group F, the reigning and defending champions, Germany, take this group uh, alongside Sweden, Mexico, and the uh, Korean Republic, a.k.a. South Korea. So, uh, George... Obviously, I think the three of us can agree on uh, this, that Germany will win the group. And who's going to finish second? Because we just said Mexico usually finds a way to carve themselves out that second spot. I don't see it happening this year, though. I have Sweden going in second. I've got Mexico. I think Sweden, without Ibrahimovic, they're a very physical team, which for Mexico would be difficult and career too. I don't think they got very physical players in the lineup, but I went for Mexico quite comfortably actually. And um, but I think Germany have dominated the group. I, I can't even see them dropping a single point. Okay. Uh, so Richard, um, do you have Mexico in their typical spot in second place and uh, squeezing through to the round of sixteen, or is uh, Zlatan's absence for Sweden too much to handle? I thought, you know, I, I do like this Mexican team. As, as an American saying that, I feel like I'm going to burn or something like that. But I, I do like this Mexican team a lot. Uh, they got a lot of talented players on our team. Um, I think Sweden, the, the whole Zlatan issue could have gone two, di- two different ways. And the way I think it would ultimately would have happened is if he had joined the team after they had qualified. Well, on paper, well, I love Zlatan. You know, there's Zlatan, hashtag. Um, yeah. I think he would be a hindrance yeah. to the team because it would ruin the chemistry that they built. Um, I love the chemistry that Sweden has built, you know, Emil Forsberg leading the way with uh, Klassen up there on the top, um, um, Berg up there also as well. They got they got a good team. Um, I think they're going to edge out Mexico for that second spot. As much as I like Mexico, I think uh, I'm, with, I'm with you guys. I think Germany is going to get all nine points. Uh, won't even be close. Uh, but I think Sweden has enough chemistry in them that they can nick the second spot over Mexico. It's not going to be easy. I, you know, I, I can see both those teams drawing two games, but then maybe Sweden gets the, the one bigger win or something and get the goal differential to move on or something. Okay, so we got... Um, <clears throat> I said Germany-Sweden. George, you're saying Germany-Mexico, and Richard, you're saying Germany and who? Sweden. Sweden, okay. All right, so Group G, this is, uh, this is uh, Belgium with uh, 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 just... A load of talent. I mean, uh, again, up front, uh, obviously one of the best midfielders in the world, Kevin De Bruyne. They also have strikers uh, out, 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 out the yin yang. Uh, this is a this is a very dangerous side. Very dangerous side. They were dark horses to go very deep in 2014. I think that that expectation is even more so in 2018, as those players have aged and matured and gotten better. Um, England also in this group. This has been said to be the weakest England side in quite some time. So that, that will be up for debate. It's just that roster, that England roster, just doesn't impress me, especially with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain being out. Uh, just a lot of injuries, a uh, lot of 
pieces I don't think that Southgate really thought out very well. Let's put it like that. And, George, I'm going to get your take on that in a minute. Uh, Tunisia and Panama. So, George, first of all, who do you have winning the group? And what do you make of this England side? Well, I've got Belgium winning the group. I think with Belgium, it was about them fulfilling their true potential. I mean, they've got an amazing side, just like you've said. Uh, I think it was about Martinez providing tactical innovation to a team of individuals. And I believe from watching Martinez in the past that he can do that. But to get this side playing was, was his task. And, I mean, they comfortably qualified. And I can see them winning the last fixture against England to win the group. But in terms of Gareth Southgate, I'm actually quite impressed with the system that he's playing at the moment. I think England have sort of been old-fashioned with their tactics in the past. I think he's trying to sort of change the style of play we're playing. I think the central defensive areas is an issue and something that us leaving Tarkowski on standby, although he did um, eventually withdraw through injury, and also Chris Smalling and picking Phil Jones over him and Gary Cahill, who's played throughout the season. I disagree with those decisions, but I think the system we're playing, I think, is probably the most promising for me that I've seen from England for many years. Okay, I too have Belgium winning the group. I have England coming in second, and I have Tunisia third and Panama as one of the weakest sides in the tournament, I have them finishing last. Richard, what are your thoughts on Group G? I mean, I agree with you guys. Belgium is just a stacked team. Um, I, I, my, I'm just not so sure about Roberto Martinez. Um, I like him as an analyst, no doubt about that. And he, he's done well in, in, uh, in the club level. But the national team, I don't know if he can handle the egos on this team. Now, I think they're going to win the group. I think Belgium will win the group. But I don't know if he has what it takes to get them to win the World Cup. Um, I think they need a, a, a another manager. But with that said, Belgium wins the group. Um, I I too like this English team. It's not the team that you know, most people uh, probably would pick and were hoping for coming into. Or they would hope to see this team play. But um, England are they had something about them that they they're playing differently. And I and I just I just like the way they're playing. And I think that. Hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of people that you asked ask me that they think England's going to win the World Cup, but that's every year, right? It's the same thing with us Americans, I guess. Right, um, right. But I do like this English team. I think they can finish second, and uh, depending on who they get in the next round, uh, they could go. They could it could go far because uh, I mean, Harry Kane. I mean, how can you go against him and and the players that they have on that in that team? It's it's a good squad. It's not the greatest squad that mm-hmm. you can probably assemble, but I think it's the, it may be the right mix of players. You know, it it fits the system that Southgate is trying to implement there. Uh, he's got a he's got an idea in mind, and maybe these are the right players to fit that mold uh, to get them to be successful. So, um, I, I, they're going to be second, but um, they're not going to be as bad as maybe some people think. Uh, so, George, who do you think besides Kevin De Bruyne is Belgium's most important player? Well, Lukaku scored eleven goals during qualifying, but I would probably say Eden Hazard. I mean. The way he drives the ball forward is key to having the attack. And I think with De Bruyne sort of playing the ball into his path, I think he'll be the sort of player that can pull the strings and split defences with the runs he makes. Um, He can create chances for himself and he'll also be able to create chances for Lukaku. So I'd probably say that um, Eden Hazard is equally as important as Kevin De Bruyne for them. Okay. 
And Richard, if you had to say something like Lukaku got injured or something, who would you, there's so many there's so many talented number nines with Belgium. Who would you go to as your as your your backup number nine uh, behind Lukaku? Oh, um, probably <clears throat> your uh, your Dortmund uh, striker there, Batshuayi. Batshuayi, yeah, uh, yeah, I I really like him. Uh, and I think he could fill the role admirably. He's got the speed, he's got the clinical finishing, um, and he's good in the air. So I would go with him. I definitely agree with that point. I do like uh, Dibak Origi as well, but uh, I think Batshuayi definitely with his performance at the Westfalenstadion in the second half of the season, he moved himself right behind Lukaku as the uh, second number nine. So, moving on to the last group before we get to round 16, because uh, we are pressing up against the time here. Uh, Poland, Colombia, Senegal, and Japan. And this this one is again. It seems like a, it seems like most of the groups have a clear cut one and two, and then there's a clear cut three and four. And 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 this one, the only the only situation I see here that's interesting is Sadio Mane's Senegal side, and they could be up for the surprise. I do think Colombia has the most talent on paper. I think that they will advance out of the group, but it's Poland and Senegal that I. It, it, this this is kind of a this is kind of a tough call for me, but um, I do have I do have Poland and, and Colombia advancing, um, if only by a, 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 a fraction of a margin. George, how do you, how do you see that going down in Group H? I think this is the most difficult group for me. I think Senegal they've got Koulibaly at the back, so they've got strength in defence. Um, they've obviously got Sadio Mane. I think they could be a surprise package. Um, I put Japan in last, but I have went for Poland and Colombia with Colombia as group winners. Okay, Richard, same thing. Um, normally I go with the African clubs. Um, I think I, there's something about the African teams I really like, but usually there's a team from the African countries that does really bad. Now I, I like Egypt with Mo Salah. I like Morocco. Yeah, they're not going to advance, but I, I, like, I like the way they play with Amin Harit and the rest of the guys they have in that team. It's a pretty good team. Um, Nigeria, obviously, I picked them to, to advance. I think Senegal uh, are going to fall short in this one. I, and I've liked Senegal in the past, but it just something about this team, I'm not sure. Even, even though they have Mane, um, it's something about them that I can't, uh, I, can't, I can't wrap my head around. And so I got Colombia first, Poland second. I actually have Japan in third and Senegal fourth. Ooh. Yeah, one thing that's not been mentioned, which I'm surprised about, is they've talked about Italy, United States, um, the Netherlands missing out on the World Cup. Is actually in Africa, Ghana failed to qualify. They were in Egypt's group. Yeah, yeah. They qualified for the last three World Cups. You got Ivory Coast, who also qualified for the last three World Cups. Yep. Went out to Morocco, and Cameroon, which I've got my statistics here, qualified for. Seven out of the last eight World Cups, and they've also failed to qualify. So there's actually been sort of a rejig in African football, which could either be negative for the World Cup or it could be sort of a new generation sort of coming through in Africa. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, since the... Uh, obviously, um, Didier Drogba, who was the star of that Ivory Coast team, since that generation of players was kind of came onto the scene in 2006, I believe, in Germany, they have uh, obviously taken a, a slight step back, and as you said, have invited. They've invited obviously competition. It's 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 new. 
kind of a new day in Africa as far as uh, some of these nations with their with their um, national side. So yeah, it's it, it is a change. It is a change of scenery um, on 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 that continent as far as who they're sending to this tournament. Yeah, definitely, and especially also Ghana with players like Michael Essien and others fading towards the end of their career over the last few years. I think I think it would be interesting to see, but, but I think Egypt would be the one to watch for me, or, or maybe Senegal. Yeah, that's Egypt, absolutely, just if nothing else for uh, Mo Salah. But, um, so the round of 16, uh, based on how you guys had your groups finishing, we should all have a round of 16 bracket now. We should be in the knockout stage. Um, so my first match in the round of 16 has... Uruguay going up against Portugal, and I have Uruguay winning that match. I have them knocking out as because, and, and I agree with you, uh, George, <clears throat> on the fact that I believe Portugal are one of the weakest uh, European champions in modern history. I think that they got lucky. I think they drew uh, each of their group stage matches, if I'm not mistaken. I uh, don't have it in yeah, front of me, but I remember that tournament pretty well. And they got by. It seemed like every single knockout stage by the skin of their teeth. Barely got through the group stage. I think they advanced with three points, as a matter of fact, which is just kind of unheard of. And, and, and in third place, because they have the um, best third place. That's right. how Iceland also progressed. Yes, so that's where uh, 16 of the... Was that 16 of the 24 teams advanced? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, Portugal got the benefit of the doubt of the new rule change, where a third-place team could in fact advance, and they did, and then they made it all the way to the final. So my hat's off to them. They won it, but uh, it was not impressive. So I have Portugal going out in the round of 16. Uh, George, what is your what is your, what is your round of 16 first matchup look like? I've also went the same as you. I think Uruguay have a very strong attack. They've proven in the past that they can um, achieve good results in the World Cup, and I think with the group they've got, I think they'll gain a lot of confidence, especially if they top the group comfortably when they go into the round of 16. Indeed. Uh, Richard, uh, what's your what's your uh, round of 16 first match? It is also Uruguay and Portugal. Um, I, too, am picking Uruguay oh. or Portugal just because the, the attack that they have, they have one of the best defenders in the world in Godin. Uh, the team, I, I just like it from front to back all the way through. Um, and I think uh, Portugal, they are one of the weakest European champions ever. I mean, only maybe Greece is probably worse than them overall. Uh, oh, God, but, that 2004 Greek side. Wow. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, but I like this, I like this Uruguay team. Uh, how can you go, how can you not pick a team with uh, Luis Suarez and Cavani up top? <laughs> hey, Richard, do you know, do you remember who Greece beat in 2004 to win it? Portugal. <laughs> That's right. On their home turf, nonetheless. Yeah. And, and Portugal were the host. So that is, yeah. I, and, and if I'm not mistaken, didn't, I think Portugal, they didn't make it out of the group stage in 2014, I believe. Is that, uh, was, weren't they in the group with the U.S.? And yeah. Germany, yeah. They lost yeah. 4 0 against Germany on their first game. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Portugal, yeah, they're, they're, they're out in the round of 16. Uh, second matchup I have is France and Argentina. And I have France... Ooh, that's a tough one. I have France doing the business over Argentina. I think that Argentina's uh, luck will run out. I think that they are... They made a massive, massive mistake, as George alluded to earlier, in leaving out Maurito Icardi. I think that will come back to bite them. I think he is uh, 
far surpassed Gonzalo Higuain as a clinical striker, the better player, the younger player, the more fit and shape player. And there's a lot of jealousy towards Icardi. There's a lot of uh, political stuff about Icardi uh, as far as uh, Wanda Nara, or as she now goes by Wanda Icardi goes, uh, with Maxi Lopez, who is just, you know, some random jackass footballer in Serie A who just bounces from team to team. It, it really, for those of you who don't know the story, it, it's, it's really, Icardi's a good husband, he's a good father, and things, yeah, Lopez got screwed over a little bit, but, you know, it worked out for everybody. So I don't know why the politics are playing behind the scenes. If you have a World Cup to win, you take the best players you have. Icardi is one of the best players Argentina has, and they left him at home for reasons that are beyond bullshit. But nonetheless... This, this is the price they pay. I say France takes Argentina out of the tournament, and uh, they will advance to play Uruguay in the quarterfinals. George, how, what's your second uh, round of 16 matchup? Well, I think if, like, your, like yours was, France were pinned up against Argentina, I would go for France. But as I've picked Argentina as a group winners, I've got France and Croatia, and um, I've put France to narrowly win. I think with Argentina, like you were saying, I think it is a mistake to um, leave out Akadi. But I do believe at the same time, if it would cause disharmony amongst the camp, then maybe for the team in general, it was maybe the right decision. But I think to try to ignore a talent like that, I do think it's a waste. But you could say the same with France with Karen Benzema, although that was a lot um, different. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a very good point you make there, um, uh, Richard. What do you, who do you have in your second uh, round of sixteen match? I have France against Nigeria. Um, and <laughs> I forgot I about think, that. Yes, Nigeria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think France uh, narrowly beats Nigeria. The the class of France outdoes the qual- the youth of Nigeria. So I got France moving on to go against Uruguay. And so exits some of the best kits in the tournament from Nigeria because they have some awesome kits. Uh, very, very unique design, must say so myself. Yeah, I like them. Third, third matchup, I have Brazil and Sweden, and this is an absolute no-brainer. I think Brazil advances past Sweden into the quarters. Richard, uh, sorry, George, who did you have in your third matchup? I had Brazil-Mexico, and um, I've also went for Brazil 2 no win. Yep. Pretty clean cut. Uh, Richard? Uh, I have Brazil, Sweden, and I also have Brazil winning that game. Yeah. Uh, The fourth matchup in the round of 16, I have uh, group winners Belgium versus second place Colombia. And I think that the talent on both sides is is really, really good. Uh, This is a tough one to call uh, because... You know, you have you have two different uh, types of play here, but I think the quality of Belgium as as a starting eleven will eventually creep through as the tournament progresses, and I think that they'll get better as it progresses. And I have them going through past Colombia here into the quarterfinals. George, who do you have in this matchup? I've got Belgium and Poland. I went for Colombia to group winners. I think Belgium be the dark horses. Of the World Cup, whether they'll necessarily win it is a different issue. But I think I think they'll progress past the round of sixteen. I've went for a Belgian win over Poland. Okay, Richard. I have Poland, uh, Belgium against Poland, and I think uh, Belgium out outdoes uh, the flying uh, 
Arkadiusz Miliks and uh, Lewandowski's of uh, Poland. So I, I got Belgium going on to face against Brazil. Oh, we haven't even mentioned Lewandowski. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because he's an interesting topic, and he will be this summer. But uh, nonetheless, so uh, as we get to the backside of the round of 16, I have uh, group winners, Spain versus second place from Group A, Egypt. And this is where Mo Salah cannot by himself take on the Spanish side. And Egypt will bow out in the round of 16. Spain advance to the quarterfinals. George, how do you see this? Yep, I agree with that. I went for a 2-0 Spain win. I think it will be quite comfortable for them. Yep. Richard? Uh, I, too, have Spain against Egypt, and I think Spain wins big, like 4-0 or something. Just to prove a point. <laughs> Just to prove a point. Just to prove a point. Okay, so uh, this one will be a little bit different for us, because I know somebody picked... Did I pick Croatia to win the group? See. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> yeah, actually, I did. Okay, that's why mine's different. Okay, I picked Croatia to win the group, and I have my Croats going pretty damn far in this thing. Uh, Croatia over Denmark uh, in this matchup of European sides. Uh, George, how did what was your matchup in this in this bracket? Mine was Argentina Denmark, and I've gone for a narrow Argentina win. Narrow Argentina win. Very good, Richard. I had the Conan Bowl matchup with Argentina against Peru, and I think Lionel Messi takes Argentina past Peru. Oh Probably yeah, Argentina, yeah. Argentina, Spain. Oh, that's you. You got yourself a nice quarterfinal setup there. That's gonna be, oh, ah, nice. Uh, Germany, Switzerland. Uh, little brothers don't get the job done. Uh, Switzerland will fall to Germany. Germany make it an easy four out of four wins in the tournament to advance to the quarterfinals. George, what you got? Yep, I've gone for, well, I've got Germany and Costa Rica, and I've went for a comfortable Germany win. Richard? Uh, I got Germany, Switzerland, and I also have Germany with a comfortable win. Well, we just said that we hadn't talked about Lewandowski, but we are now, because I have Poland. Yes, <laughs> I have Poland. <laughs> uh, I had them winning their group, actually. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I did. I, I said that group was tough. That was a very tough group to call. But I have them winning the group, and I have England in second. And I have Robert Lewandowski with a brace against England to knock out uh, Southgate's side in the round of 16. Poland advance to face their arch nemesis, who they have never beaten in a major tournament, Germany, in the, in the quarterfinals. Rich, uh, George, who do you have in that final round of 16 matchup? I've got Colombia and England, and I went for a narrow England win. Narrow England win, okay? Uh, so you are setting up England-Germany in the quarterfinals, it sounds like. Yeah, and then it all goes wrong from there. <laughs> <Spoiler> alert. <laughs> uh, all right, Richard, who did you have in this final round of 16? I have Colombia against England, and I have the rejuvenated James Rodriguez uh, in Colombia winning against England and Colombia going to face Germany. Okay, wow, okay. So we're down to the quarterfinals now, and this is where it gets interesting. So in my first quarterfinal, there are no there are no surprise teams left. These are these are these are the I mean top fifteen teams in the world. So any 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 eight you get here are going to be very tough outs. My first one is Uruguay against France. Uh, I have just and no, like I said, an immense respect for what um, France has done. 
I uh, thought they should have won the European Championship in 2016 on home soil. They did not get the job done, but they are just too deep for me to get them out against Uruguay. I think that uh, their brand of football is over 90 minutes going to be too much for Uruguay to handle. They have too much depth. I think they have uh, brilliant technicians as well as scoring threats. Uh, I mean, they're leaving players like Lacazette home uh, because they're just that stacked. Uh, and I just I think that it's a uh, 3-1 victory for France over Uruguay as they advance uh, quite comfortably into the semifinals. Richard, who do, uh, George, who did you have in the uh, quarterfinal match one? I have the same fixture. I haven't gone quite as heavy, but um, yeah, I agree. I think I think France will be too strong for Uruguay. Richard? Uh, I too have Uruguay against France, and I think France are going to win. I think their team, the players that they left at, in France, are could, that team could go deep in this tournament. That's how deep France are. France are. So I, I got France going into the semifinals. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, if, if nothing else, they are very deep. That is for sure. Uh, my second matchup, I have Brazil and Belgium. And this is where I have my first major upset. I have Belgium taking out Brazil in the quarterfinal. Now, there's some reasoning behind this. Belgium are on their continent. Brazil have traditionally not played so well in Europe. They, they, don't, tend to, they don't tend to play extremely well in European World Cups. They uh, obviously didn't do much in uh, Italy in 1990, uh, weren't really a factor in Germany in 2006. Uh, they, they just seem to, it seems to be kind of the kryptonite for Brazil when they play on the European continent. So Belgium being closer to home, them having, I think, uh, if it's not as talented as Brazil, which it may not be, it's not much less talented. I think Belgium have the horses and the firepower to knock out Brazil. And that's what uh, I have, a 2-1 victory for Belgium as they go advance to the semifinal. Uh, George, how, did, how do you uh, see your second quarterfinal fixture? Um, I've gone for a narrow Brazil win over Belgium. Uh is there? Did, what, what were your factors in that? Um, I just think after the upset in 2014, I think they they will come back stronger at this World Cup. I think Neymar's fit, isn't he? Just to double check, he's he's in the squad. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a little feeling that this is going to be Neymar's World Cup. There's no statistics behind it. I, I just I just feel that after all the time that he's been built up to be the hero of, of Brazil. I think this is his time. Um, I've, I've just got a little sense that he'll have a good tournament. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, all those are, uh, I mean, I could see every bit of that happening. And Neymar is certainly a, a, a once-in-a-generation talent, so as so many Brazil players are, so he could certainly um, do everything that you, that you said he could. Um, Richard, how did you see this fixture going? Brazil, Belgium. Um, I did not have an upset in this one, but my favorites are Belgium because I think they're a better team and more talented team. I have them progressing past Brazil. For every reason George just mentioned about what he loved about Brazil, and he can't explain why he feels about Neymar and going on to win the cup, I have the same opposite feeling towards Brazil where I can't trust this team. I'm not sure how they're going to respond, and I don't fancy them at all. Now, if if they're back, baby, and they're and they're and they're winning, they're playing samba. I am all for that. But I just there's something about Brazil I don't trust, and mm-hmm. I think Belgium mm-hmm. can take them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I it, it, this could go either way, but I 
I see George's points. I see your points. Uh, obviously, due to my pick, I lean slightly more towards your points, Richard, because I, 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 I as well do not quite trust them after the – Germany did what they did to them in Brazil, okay? And, and, and that, that says a lot. And I'm not saying they're going to lose anyone 7-1 to one again. They're not going to. That's, that's, that may never happen again in our lifetime. But they, they, they're on the European continent. And until they can prove to me that they can win a World Cup in the modern era – in Europe, I am going to go with the European teams, especially the European powers, of which I now consider Belgium. So that's the only reason I'm going with it. It's, it's not because uh, Belgium are that much better than Brazil, but it just I, I, I'm given. I guess, if you will, I'm giving Belgium the jet lag, the jet lag factor. Okay, because it's just home more more being on their home home continent and and Brazil being further and further away from home, even though a lot of these players do play in Europe for their clubs. It, it, it just something psychological about it, I'd say. And that's, there is sports psychology that goes into some of this. And um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's really it in a nutshell. Brazil could easily win five nil and, 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 and go the exact opposite way. But um, so next matchup, Spain and Croatia for me. And this is the end of the road for Kalinich. Damn it. Um, no. <laughs> this is the end of the road for Nikola Kalinic, uh, Marcelo Brozovic, and Ivan Perisic. I have Spain uh, winning quite easily uh, 2-0 over Croatia to advance to the semifinals. Uh, George, how did you see the third matchup in the quarterfinals? Well, I have Spain and Argentina. And... I can't see a repeat of their 6-1 triumph, but I've, I've went for a Spain win. And what, 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 would, what would lend you to not see another 6-1 triumph? What, what do you think that Argentina has learned from that match to not let, the, let that repeat itself? Um, I think they will be far more competitive in the World Cup rather than in a friendly. I think that plays a part in it. Um, I don't... I, I, I can't... I think when it gets to the later stages of the tournament, you do tend to find that as it comes to the quarterfinals, semifinals, the games tighten up. And that's why... I cut, although we did talk about a 7-1 win, which is a complete rarity in 2014 with Brazil and Germany... Usually the games tend to tighten up, and that's why I don't really see a demolition taking place there. Right. So, Richard, who did you have in that matchup, in that slot? Uh, Spain against Argentina. Um, while I would like nothing more than to pick Argentina because they're like my – I have family in Argentina, so uh, I've always enjoyed watching uh, Argentina play the World Cups as I grew up. Uh, so I'd love nothing more than to pick them now, but I, I, I think the Spanish team is way too good and too deep uh, that they're going to overtake Messi and, and Argentines. I think they made a big mistake about leaving out Icardi, leaving out Papu Gomez and some of the other players uh, for foolish reasons, in my opinion. So um, Spain to win, uh, it will be close. It won't be a blowout, like George was saying. Uh, I agree with him. It's going to be a tight game, um, but I think Spain's going to, their, their class is going to show in this. Yeah, no, I... I, I think you're dead on there. A lot of, lot of, lot of political swirlings going around this Argentina side for, for sure, uh, and and that might come back to bite them in the end. But we, we'll, we'll see. Uh, my, my final matchup in the quarterfinals, I have uh, Germany against their neighbors, Poland. 
this is no surprise here. Poland, once again, in a uh, competitive tournament, do not get the job done against Germany. Germany uh, cruised through in this one, 3-0. Uh, Lewandowski hates his Bayern mates as uh, they put a beating on him. Uh, Thomas Miller scores a brace, and it's just it's, it's, it's unfortunate because Poland really have a talented side, but they simply... First of all, they can't seem to avoid matching up with Germany at some point, either in the group stage or in the knockout stages. And they always seem to run up against a team that, I guess you could say, sometimes you have to slay the giant to become a giant. And Poland seems to never be able to quite get over the hump. And, and it's unfortunate because, like I said, they have a pretty talented side. But I think this is the end of the road for them. I don't think either you have them going this far, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, George, who did you have Germany going up against? Well, I'm the only one flying the flag for England. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't see them going past Germany at all. I've, I've went for a Germany win. What's your, what do you have as a scoreline in that? Um, penalties? Not quite, penalties? Not, not quite. <laughs> no, I can't put myself through that pain. Um, no, not quite the 4-1 loss. The controversial 4-1 loss. In 2010, um, but I went for a three-one win. Three-one to Germany, and oh, I, I'm assuming that. Um, well, I mean, that's. Uh, how do you how do you think England how do you think England plays? How do they line up tactically in that match? Uh, since uh, this is obviously. You know, win or go home. Uh, it's 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 knockout stage. So h- how do you how do you think Southgate lines the squad up against this uh, juggernaut Germany in that matchup? Well, we've seen the nil nil draw in the recent international friendly. Um, there's just a thing with England at, at competitive tournaments where I think it's all right to play okay in the friendly. We've beaten Spain, Brazil before. Uh, I think it was a 2014 World Cup. But there's something when we come up against Germany in competitive tournaments where it, it's almost cursed. And rather than a tactical analysis of it, you know, my result, it's more just from what I've witnessed in the past, um, which which is where I'm coming from, really. Okay, Richard, uh, you had Germany versus who? Colombia. Colombia. And what is the verdict on Germany versus Colombia in the last quarterfinal matchup? I think Colombia make it a very interesting match. I can I can see a I can see goals from Falcao and Jaime Rodriguez, but I think Germany win a goal thriller three to two. Um, I think it's gonna be a highly entertaining matchup between these two teams. Uh, Richard, real quick, since we're talking about Germany and the Bundesliga, uh, did did you see last week by chance? where there was some kind of statement by Manuel Neuer saying if he didn't go to Russia to be the number one, he didn't want to go at all? No, I didn't see that. But, uh, I mean, he if he's healthy, he should be the number one. Um, but that's a, that's a mighty bold statement. I mean, that can that's a statement that can rub uh, Joachim Lowe the wrong way. Right, right. That's, like, that's... You know what? You're not going to play. He's that kind of manager. He's like uh, Mourinho in a sense like that. You try to show up the manager, he's going to show you up and show you who's the boss. So that, that's a mighty bold statement by him. But... Uh, I saw him. He was playing the Austria game. Did, did, did he not? Yeah, he, I think he did. Yeah. Okay, so but yeah, that's mighty bold statement by him. So I did not see that, but yeah, you don't want to test love uh, in that kind of situation at all. <laughs> no, and that's that's why I didn't. I'm I'm not used to Neuer making such a brash statement like that. So that was kind of uh, for, for in in my experience 
uh, having really, I mean, I've watched him at Schalke when he was young. I've watched him replace Oliver Kahn at Bayern. And, you know, despite those two teams being my club's arch rivals, I, I still have an enormous amount of respect for him as a player. I uh, just wasn't, didn't know what to think seeing re- reading that. Now, granted, you know, that's That's one... a big statement for him because Germany are loaded with goalkeepers. I mean, Burton Leno, they got Ter Stegen. I mean, you could put Ralph Fairman if you want to throw him in that mix. There's so many German goalkeepers that are good that could be on this team. Yeah. And to make that kind of comment, it kind of rubs other players in the wrong way. Well, Leno, Leno got sent back home, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but that's them. I mean, he could, he could, he could certainly make the team. He, he that, could, yeah. yeah. The, the Germany's got uh, ton, tons of great goalkeepers. They wish that Berkey was one of theirs because they would take him with them. But uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, 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 I bury Roman Berkey every chance I get, unfortunately. And so, anyways, um, so now we move on to the semifinals, and I have an all-European semifinal. I just realized. Um, I do too. Yeah, so I have uh, neighboring countries, two of the countries that have the best mussels in the whole world. They, they prepare them very well in their, their fine sauces, and uh, the cuisine in both nations is impeccable. So this is kind of like the, um, the culinary World Cup uh, semifinal between France and Belgium, and two of the deepest sides in the tournament. Uh, some of the most up and some of the best uh, up and coming young players in the world. Uh, I do give experience at this stage of a major tournament to France, and that is the only reason, for no other reason, that I have France advancing to the World Cup final over Belgium, two to one, very close, highly contested. I see this going down to the 90th minute and then some. For France to finally claw their way into a final appearance, uh, George, who did you have in this stage of your semifinal? I had France and Brazil. I think I can see France progressing to the final. I think they've got an incredibly strong team. Um, they're very strong in depth, and I can see them beating Brazil. Okay, Richard, who did uh, I believe you also had France, Belgium. Yes, I had France, Belgium, um, big brother against little brother, if you will. I I, I like this French team. Uh, I think they're probably going to you know, come out to a 2 nothing lead, and then Belgium going to get a goal late to kind of save face and make it a 2-1 game, kind of like you said. Uh, but I think this French team, this, they have so much in them. They can play so many different ways. Uh, the talent on this team is just ridiculous. Uh, I'm going to go with Bel- uh, France over Belgium. Okay. The... Other semifinalists uh, are two teams that are quite familiar with each other. They have played in European finals against one another. They've played in World Cup semifinals against one another. Uh, this would be Spain and Germany, the last two World Cup winners, 2010-2014. I have Germany winning this one 3-2. to two. I think that it will be extremely tight. I think that... It wouldn't be out of the question for Spain to actually take the lead two to one, and for Germany to have to come from behind. I, 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 I go either way, but due to my, I, I'm just going with my gut here. Until uh, I see, I, 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 I got to see Germany show signs of weakness besides a friendly. Uh, you know, the, I don't take much stock in that Austria draw, or was that a loss or a draw? I forget. They lost to Austria. They lost to Austria. Yeah. Uh, two to one. I think Urzil opened the scoring. That's right. Urzil opened the scoring, and then they fell behind two one, and that was it. So, I, you know, these friendlies before the World Cup are they are what they are. Um, 
I think they're tune-up games and nothing more. So I'm not going to put too much stock in that. I still think that the, the title goes to Germany. I think Spain will come up just, just a little bit short here. So Spain bows out in the semifinals to Germany, and we have two other neighbors uh, in the World Cup final, Germany and France. Extremely interesting. That's a rematch of the semifinal from the European Championship in 2016. Uh, George, who did you have at this stage? I believe Spain and Germany as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've went with France and Germany to progress to the final. I think they both got the strongest teams in terms of depth. And I think when you have, you know, players that can fill in during a tournament, um, I think that's important to have a big squad and a talented squad. And that's why I went for them. And also, you know, you touched upon the defeat to Austria. You know, they're wall-back matches for a reason. They're to get your mistakes out of the way. Um, to prepare for the tournament, and I, I don't see that affecting their performance at the World Cup for Germany. All right, Richard, you're the last man to reveal your World Cup final. Who you got? All right, so I too had Spain Germany in the semifinal. Um, there's something about this German team that I'm not sure about. I mean, they're they're obviously a great team, but I just don't have the same feeling as I did last World Cup with them. Um, I think that the Spanish team, based on how I predicted the tournament to go, they will look at what Colombia did to Germany and find a, a chink in the armor, if you will. And I think Spain edge out Germany to make it to the final against France. Okay, so we okay, so uh, George and I have France and Germany, and Richard, you have Spain and France, also neighboring countries. So we have nothing but neighbors. It's all neighborly love. It's it's a bunch of brother oh, yeah. brother. <laughs> brotherly love in the world cup final uh so our final prediction basically uh i have france and germany and richard there is something about this germany team and and you're right and i i like that something i think that they're they're winners i think that uh my man marco royce gets uh gets gets his first major tournament under his belt he he gets to play in the 2018 world cup i think he'll do well i i see uh two or three goals from him in this tournament i think from top to bottom this Germany squad reads like a who's who of football. Uh, it, it's it's it just the forwards alone. Uh, Mario Gomez, from an experience perspective, he's been there. Thomas Müller, who I think in this World Cup could break closest record for the most goals ever scored uh, in a World Cup. Uh, oh, yeah. And, of course, my man, Timo Vienna. So that's just the forwards. And then you have Marco Reus, Sebastian Rudi, Mesut Özil, Toni Kroos, uh, multiple-time Champions League winner, Sami Kadira. It's it, the list goes on and on. Ilke Gundogan, uh, Leon Goretzka, Julian Draxler. Uh, it's um, I, I just think that Yogi Löw has been there. He has been to so many finals. He's proven himself time and time again. A lot of people had their doubts in 2014 when Royce went down with the injury. They said that was Germany's best scoring threat. That he was going to be a massive loss uh, to which the Germans cannot overcome. And there they are in the semifinal, beating Brazil seven to one. So I think they're, they're proven winners. I think they have the heart of champions, and I think they get the job done again. I go 2-1 to one Germany to repeat and get their fifth star to equal Brazil's five world championships. They will be the 2018 FIFA World Cup champions. Uh, George, how do you see this final playing out? I, I went exactly the same. I think, as you've read through Germany's players, um, I don't think going into it as defending champions they can be written off 
because if I'm not wrong in saying, no team's done that since 1962. Um, I don't think they can be written off at all. Um, I went for a 2-1 win to Germany. Okay, so we have actually identical score lines and identical champions. Uh, well, we'll have somebody else uh, to be champions for Richard because he has predicted uh, France and Spain. So somebody, um, either France or Spain, are going to be his world champions. Richard, tell us who you got and why. Germany wins. No, I'm just <laughs> Surprise. I've told Surprise. you that I like the French team. I told you I like the Spanish team. Um, I really like this French team. Uh, I was telling you before we came on the, on, the, on the podcast that I watched that Kareem Benzema documentary, and, and when they left them off, I thought that was a big thing. I, I'm surprised, you know, I was kind of cheering for them to lose the Euros, and they, and they did. And I kind of feel had har- harbored bad feelings towards France. But I think that this team is just too stacked. I, I've said it over and over. They're a deep team, and I think they're going to beat uh, Spain 2-1 to one, uh, and are crowned champions without Lacazette, without Benzema, and all the other guys they left. France are the champions. Oh, France. So they get their, their second World Cup. Well, I, 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 and I can't argue that at all. It could very well happen. I think that uh, it's, once we get to a certain stage of this tournament, it's going to be fascinating. So that leaves us with just basically one final question. Who do you have, uh, George, as your uh, golden boot winner and your man of the tournament? Are we not going for third player? Third place player? <laughs> um, so I got... <laughs> Wait a minute. Who would I have in that? I'm sorry. I just took my bracket down. Uh, Spain so... and Belgium. Spain and Belgium. Uh, Spain. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't actually do this uh, match. But yeah, well, I'll go with Spain based on the experience and the, uh, the the talent there um, for no other reason. Yeah, I've went for, I've, I went for Spain over, um, over Brazil. Rich? And I'm going with Mannschaft over Belgium. Uh, Germany gets third. Okay. So, uh, George, who do you have for your, uh, your uh, man of the tournament and the golden boot winner? Well, I've went for Antoine Griezmann for the top goal scorer mm, purely yeah. because... As I put down France uh, in my final, and I think with the amount of games that he'll be playing, um, you know, unless injury interrupts that, then he will be playing all the games. Um, I, I think that he'll finish top goal scorer for me. Richard, who you got? Ooh, uh, um, so you said man of the match and uh, top goal scorer. Yeah, man of the tournament and top goal scorer. Ooh, okay, so man of the tournament, I'm going to go... Oh, man, that's tough. Um, it has to be from the, the champion team, right? So I would go with Antoine Griezmann. And then uh, Golden Boot, I am going to go Timo Werner. Oh, you son of a gun. You stole my... Oh, that's exactly who <laughs> I was going to pick. Oh, I have to... I can't, I, can't, I can't duplicate that. I can't say the same thing. I'm sitting there thinking... I was going to say Thomas Muller, and then I was like, I'm going to go Timo Werner. Well, it was actually... It was a coin flip between those two for me. I'll be honest, because there's something about these World Cups. Thomas Muller just goes into a different damn gear. Yeah, it's like, like um, uh, Miroslav Klosa and Podolski, even, well, even he didn't score as much, but uh, Klosa, he would, all-time World Cup, he would just score goals for fun. It, literally. And, and Thomas Muller... Uh, just for whatever reason, he is he is a scoring juggernaut in, in the World Cup, and and I. So here's the thing, I think the 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 man of the tournament is actually. Who did you say? I'm sorry. I, I, when you said Timo Werner, I lost all my senses. Who did you say your man of the tournament was? Antoine Griezmann. Antoine Griezmann. 
Uh, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that happening. Um, I, I honestly think that this could be a, a repeat performance. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit out of this. I, I'm going to go a little bit out of this, the specter here from 2002 when Oliver Kahn was uh, put in that position as a goalkeeper. I think Manuel Neuer in his, in his, in his best form. And I think that he, he wants to cement himself as possibly the greatest keeper of all time. I think he will be turned on to a different level in this tournament. I'm going to go with the dark horse as Manuel Neuer for man of the tournament. I think that he will perform spectacularly. I think he'll perform at, uh, the elite of elite levels, uh, even better so than, than uh, when he's... Because he will be challenged in this tournament. This isn't going to be like sitting at Bayern playing against Freiburg on a lazy Saturday afternoon. This is, you know, this, as, as this tournament progresses, Manuel Neuer will be challenged. So I'm going to go with him as my pick. I think, I think he's going to come back and show us all just why he is the world's number one keeper. Uh, sorry, David DeHaya and uh, Kayla Navas, but uh, I, that's who I think. And Golden Boot, since you said... Timo Vienna, I am going to go with Thomas Miller. So, <laughs> I, I have I've, I've got to go the opposite direction. I think though that Thomas Miller will break Miroslav Klose's uh, record for most goals scored career uh, in the World Cup. So I think that will be number one and number two held by German players, and I think Thomas Miller breaks that record um, this year in Russia. So. I think that is all that there is to be said about the 2018 World Cup. So I've, we have uh, Germany, Germany, and France. So as we wrap things up, I'm going to let you guys uh, tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now. George, I know you had some stuff you wanted to share about some uh, projects you're working on. So I'm going to uh, give you the floor real quick to let everyone know what, what it is you got going on right now. Yeah, so I've been compiling all 32 teams in the World Cup. We're currently in the process of launching the previews for each and every team. So tomorrow we'll be starting with the Group A teams. And just prior to the World Cup, each day we're going to be releasing four previews of each teams in, in the groups. And that'll be on the goalmouthscramble.net. Awesome. Um, and where can people find you on Twitter so they can, uh, are you going to be releasing them on Twitter as well and let, notifying when you, um, when those articles come out? Uh, yeah, so that will be, I think it's still at GB articles, which is my former blog. And also the Facebook page is also still called at GB articles. Um, but our, our, our Twitter is called the Goldmouth scramble, uh, scramble, but I think our tagline is still GB articles. Awesome, awesome stuff. Everyone, be able to uh, be sure to check that out because uh, he's got a, a very talented team of writers working on this stuff. Got a full, comprehensive look at the 2018 World Cup. That's uh, Goldmouth Scramble. That's uh, at Twitter as well, I think, uh, at GB Articles, as he said. Um, so, Richard, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so besides the, uh, I know you guys wrapped up uh, Serie A, sit down your podcast as well as the FC Schalke podcast. Is there anything in particular though that you're working on right now? Are you going to be doing any episodes uh, in the summer transfer window to let us know any of the uh, shopping sprees that certain teams might go on? Uh, if there's like any big trade rumors like the Nikola Kalinic type, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I mean, if there's something big, if something like a Donnarumma goes to PSG or something, we'll, we'll go up on that. But for the most part, we're going to take the summer off. And since no Italy, 
you know, USA in this World Cup. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the tournament. Uh, I think what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to have a reaction to – I'm going to try to, whether it happens or not, and see how busy I get. Um, I'm trying to react to every game that's being played, uh, or at least every group every group that's being played uh, as the tournament goes on. Try to write a little piece about that, so we'll see. Awesome. Yeah, so everyone check out the uh, uh, Serie A sit-down. That's uh, one podcast he does, fantastic stuff. Uh, the one that I definitely pay close attention to as a Dortmund supporter because you got to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. That is the FC Schalke podcast. Uh, is it still, Richard, the only English-speaking FC Schalke podcast? That is correct. That is correct, yes. Um, great stuff with him and Jack on that show. Uh, Jack also has featured here before on Kings of Europe, so uh, the two of them do an excellent, excellent job on the FC Schalke podcast, uh, despite it being blue and white, which are terrible colors. Uh, the content is, is, quite, is quite good and quite engaging. So uh, tell people real quick where they can find you on Twitter, though, because I know you still do put some stuff out. Yes, you can find me at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N, both on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap, guys. We have our uh, Serie A wrap-up, AC Milan, and World Cup champions. You can't ask for uh, much more in a uh, two-hour show, which was only supposed to go an hour and 20 minutes. So (laughs) it it, it never never, never, uh, quite goes as planned. Uh, But anyways... I want to thank both of you for being here. I want to thank everyone for downloading and listening last week. Uh, and uh, we will see you here again next week on episode 11 of the Kings of Europe. Everyone, have a good night. Bye.